Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Ziada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi, and welcome to another episode of Change Making Women. Um, tonight, it's Marianne here in London, and I am talking to Rachel Maddox, who is not anywhere near me. She's somewhere on the other side of the world. And um, so, Rachel, tell us where you are, first of all. <laughs> I am in La Jolla, California, just north of San Diego. The US that I've never visited, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about it as we chat. But um, what I'd like to start with is just asking you to, I know we've spoken before, but for our listeners, just to say something about who you are and what you're working on right now. So I'm, well, I'm a, very, I'm a human, <laughs> human mm-hmm. with feelings and emotions and relationships. But what I do for work is I'm a trauma resolution educator, coach, and guide. I'm also an author. I wrote a book called Secret Bad Girl, and I'm working on my second book called Sex After Trauma. And so I work with humans, women, men, trans people who have sexual or developmental trauma, and it's affecting either their sex lives, their relationships, their confidence and creativity, um, their sense of stability and safety in the world. So I help people reclaim a sense of um, capacity for their own personal expression, for their sense of empowerment, for their pleasure. And it's it's really fun. Mm-hmm. I really love it. It sounds really fun. And I just, yeah, it would be interesting to hear, I think, like, how, how did you get into doing this work before we so, dive into the work itself a bit more? Yeah, totally. Well, I had a history of sexual trauma at a fairly young age, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that the experiences I had, you know, in my prepubescent early teen years were affecting my adulthood. I knew that they were fucked up. I knew that they were unhealthy. I knew that they were kind of disturbing and maybe affecting my relationship to sex, but I didn't realize that they were also affecting my general sense of confidence, my general anxiety, my general capacity to like show up to things on time and be like a regulated human. I was a very high and low, um, you know, high highs, low lows person or like super, super super emotional Mm -hmm. about a lot of things. And I didn't know that that was, you know, because of trauma. I thought it was just something was wrong with me and I was fucked up and bad. And Mm -hmm. then um, a number of things happened that sort of led me down a rabbit hole, more sexually violating experiences. Um, Actually, I ended up having vaginal melanoma, which was like a certain kind of, you know, skin cancer on my Mm -hmm. clitoral hood. I had to have surgery. And I realized, oh, I've I've got something going on that's bigger than what I thought. Uh, what is it? And I ended up working with an amazing trauma specialist. And in just a few sessions, my entire physiology, my entire orientation to the world really transformed. And so I went through her teacher training program. She's a renowned, awesome teacher. Her name was Bridget Vixens. Um, 
She has a program called Alchemical Alignment. And as I was going through that, I just realized, okay, I'm in the coaching industry. I'm in this personal development, self-help industry. And so many people are going about trying to heal their trauma, which is an embodied experience, an embodied emergency hangover um, through their mind alone. And while we want our mind to be on board with our healing, if we don't actually go to the root of the issue, which is a nervous system, physiology, body issue, then our trauma doesn't heal. So I saw the inefficiency in the industry I was in and I thought like, wow, there are so many people who actually need the full story. And that's when I decided I was going to write my first book and get really devoted to um, doing trauma resolution work. Mm. Great. I just um, want to welcome Ziada, who's just joined us as we were talking. Hi, Ziada. Hi, how are you guys? We're good. So Rachel's just introducing herself and talking about her work. And maybe if I take on um, another question and then I can throw it back to you, Ziada. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so so you talk about uh, um, trauma as an emergency hangover, and I think that's such an interesting description. Um, And I just like to kind of um, explore it a little bit more. Like, what does that? What do you mean when you say an emergency hangover? And um, how how can someone who might sense that they might have had that experience begin to kind of unpack that a bit more for themselves? Yeah. Well, so every human has very healthy responses to emergency. We either hyper-socialize, which is trying to control or appease the people around us mm-hmm. or the environment around us so that those people don't violate us. If that doesn't work, we will maybe try to fight or maybe try to flight. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work, we might freeze, mm-hmm. dissociate you know, go numb, lose our words. All of those responses are completely automatic. They're something that your nervous system decides for you and it gets implemented. That that decision gets implemented in an eighth of a second, like faster than you can cognitively consent to it happening. So that's all good and well because these are life-saving mechanisms. They're really healthy. They're really great. However, and they're not, and that's not trauma. People, that's just your emergency response. The trauma is when the emergency is over, that response maybe saved you from a violation or maybe didn't. But either way, the cortisol and the adrenaline and the orientation that your body has that's saying, I'm in an emergency that orientation doesn't shift. It kind of is like having a light switch stuck on. The light of vigilance stays on. And that's what trauma is. It's when you're still walking through the world as with this stored emergency energy and this stored emergency orientation. And that's why people talk about getting triggered because if something happens that reminds you of that initial emergency, all of that emergency energy that's just waiting in your body can react. Let's say somebody like taps you. It can oh. feel like someone shoved you, mm. if you. If that tap reminds you of an earlier shove. So, yeah. so this is basically what trauma is. And it's why I call it an emergency violation, an embodied, invi- excuse me, an embodied violation hangover. Mm, mm, okay. So I might have experienced, you know, some kind of, 
serious um, threatening situation or um, sexual attack or something. And I might be, and trauma is when I'm carrying my response to that with me, even in my life where like, that's not happening to me right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I know that you, so, so you're working with, with people who've had this experience. Um, what, what, what kind of approach do you take? Like how, how do you work people through this and what, what are you hoping to achieve? Mm. Well, I think the first bit, why I call myself a trauma resolution educator is there's so much mis misinformation. Um, so much of how we try to heal is disembodied. Mm. Um, so I walk people, my, my first job from my perspective is to educate for people to understand what trauma is, how it affects you from an embodied standpoint, and then mm. how to work with your body to safely and gently help it resolve and help it heal. Mm. So um, is your healing in alignment with your body's capacity? Or are you trying to push your way through and like go right to the hardest thing because that's what you've been taught you're supposed to do? Are you letting yourself do what's doable? Or are you implementing force? Force is the antidote to healing trauma. Like force is, is how you experience trauma. It's not gonna be how you also heal it. So um, the first bit's really about helping people aligned to their body's capacity and be able to read and be with their body so that they can move through their healing process in a way that works in a way that actually is effective. And instead of, as opposed to triggering them or being too overwhelming that they totally shut down. Mm. Um, but ultimately the main goal is to help people reestablish a sense of choice and a sense of trust one of the first things that disappears when we experience intense violation or ongoing violation is a feeling of choice. Like I can choose in any given moment what to do. A lot of times when people have sexual trauma, they feel like they can't trust themselves to make choices that would keep them safe. Or they feel like they can't trust others and they can't trust themselves to make the right choice about who to be in relationship with. So trauma resolution really helps you reclaim a sense of choice, reclaim a sense of trust. Mm. Okay. Which leads to safety, you know, feelings of safety. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so in terms of how you, how you hope your work makes a difference, Rachel, I'm thinking like that there's kind of like an individual level. There's like, the healing that can happen for someone when they experience um, this, this sense of safety um, through the work you do with them. But I'm also thinking um, about like the impact that this could have on a, on a wider scale. Cause I'm thinking now about sort of the, some of the recent stuff in the news around me too and around sexual trauma as, and, and the sort of sense of the enormity of this issue. Yeah. But maybe we've always known, but maybe we're just becoming like more collectively conscious of. And mm. I'm, kind of I'm kind of wondering about what sense you have as your of your work in that sort of bigger picture. 
I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> collective, a co- elective kind of community level. Like, how do you see your work making a difference, potentially making a difference maybe through the people you work with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a few levels. Mm. Um, one is, the first bit is that when we're living under what I call the trauma spell, mm. we are, that emergency switch is stuck on. And so our responses to the world are from a place of emergency. And while there is an emergency happening, like while um, the amount of violation that, that people experience with sex is at an emergency level, yeah. we can't heal an emergency with an emergency. Yeah. So collectively, we need more people who've actually learned how to resolve that emergency because the resolution process that again gives you a sense of choice, trust, and safety makes you super powerful and resilient in the face of emergency. So for me, for example, just this weekend I was at some retreat or a workshop that was at a hotel. One of the women that was in my group for this workshop, it was a relationship workshop, um, got sexually harassed by a man at the bar. Mm -hmm. I if I were still under my trauma spell, I would have been so triggered by that experience that I wouldn't have had any capacity to help. But instead, my nervous system was not activated at all. And I was able to go over and talk to these people. I was able to be a totally lucid um, witness with, for the police officer, because we had ended up calling the police. It was her choice, she called the police actually. Oh. Um, and I was able to have conversations that were restorative and rehabilitating for both parties. Mm. So this is the power of what happens. One of my not secret intentions with every woman I work with, I tell them, your healing is in service to the healing of the whole. When you become a healed healer, as mm. opposed to a wounded healer, you're ex- so much more effective so much more effective because everything you teach is from a place of power as opposed to from a place of disempowerment. Mm. So that's the first bit. When we resolve our trauma, we become healed healers. And that is exceptionally good for the world as a collective. Secondly, um, a lot of what I'm doing is around consent culture. I, I believe that we all have to grow up in terms of how we relate to sex, the conversations we have around sex. I don't think this is a men are the problem problem, even though that's definitely the main narrative that we hear culturally. I think this is a culture is the problem problem. Mm. And yes, our culture is systemically patriarchal and there's a lot of issues with that. But until we decide that we're going to collectively grow up, until everybody says, I have some maturing to do. The women who have been violated, the men who have violated others, we all have growing up to do. And that's a big part of what I teach as well. Desmond Tutu says there's no future without forgiveness. And I'm not saying we skip to forgiveness, but just this idea of after the apartheid in South Africa, how people had to stay and figure out how to reconcile the mess that they had been in. You know, they couldn't just leave. We're in the same boat. We're all in a big mess that we have to decide we want to heal together. And that's a big part of of what I'm doing. I'm teaching women and men consent. 
how to have healthy conversations around sex, how to navigate um, forgiveness and anger, how to actually have reconciliation with people who violated you. It's a big deal. It takes yeah. maturity on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um. A, a, a wonderful, a beautiful concept right there. A healed healer and not a wounded healer. I'd like you to expand on that uh, some more. Um. You know the whole concept around it and how you came about it because it's quite interesting and there are a, a lot of quite uh, you know a few people who probably do not actually understand it a healed mm. healer not a wounded healer mm -hmm. yeah well the way it came for me was um i realized that i had an identity uh, that told me I only belonged if I was wounded. When we grow up in families where there's a lot of issues or when we have friends where everybody, where the norm is like, we're all broke or we're all, you know, dealing with a lot of drama or we all think men suck, right? Whatever the cultural norms of the people around you are, you can get trapped in and you can think that that's your identity but identity is actually fluid and if we forget that identity is fluid we can become trapped by whatever identity we've told ourselves is who we are or who we have to be in order to belong so for me i had the story especially because my family has a lot of issues or actually did we've we've healed a lot of our issues together over the last few years um i had a story that i only belonged if i was wounded and I could only, only be the healer if I was wounded. I, you know, I just, there was no place for me to be healed. Who would I belong to? Who would like me? Where would I fit in? Because everybody's wounded. And I just didn't even realize that it was a possibility to be a healed healer. There's, a, I think, often a fear of ours when we're in the land of struggle and when everyone we know is in the land of struggle to be happy to be successful, to be abundant, to be healthy, if we're in cultures that are not those things. And so there's a resistance to grow, quote unquote, bigger or more evolved than the people around us. We think it'll, meet, it'll create um, disconnection or separation. So for me, I had to really um, grow through that. And what I learned was, in fact, it wasn't true at all. As I became a healed healer, as I became somebody who said, you know what? I'm allowed to be happy. I'm allowed to be at peace with men. I'm allowed to say, yes, I've forgiven the things that other people do not want to forgive. Yes, I'm allowed to say, um, I'm wealthy, doing good work in the world. I'm allowed to say, you know, that I have great mental health when other people I know don't. What that's actually done is in the beginning, it created a little bit of a rift. But now it's like, um, now it feels like it's more just something that saturates the communities I'm in with light, as opposed to creating division. It actually feels like it's um, influencing for the better the people that I'm around. Mm. Okay. I think that's so interesting how you said in the beginning there was a bit of dissonance. Mm -hmm. and I, I wonder whether that, in a way, that might be about um, about about you as much as other people. Like it, it, it's kind of about shift and change, maybe. Right. I, yeah. 
I love it. The, the, the idea of, you know, he, once you're, once you've been able to transform yourself, being able to be an, you know, an influencer. And I think that could probably apply to, to lots of different kinds of change making and healing work, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I love, I do love your concept of the healed healer. And I think it's interesting because the wounded healer is something that, yeah, we're, it, it, it is a story that's out there, right? And, um, you know, that somehow we must be wounded to be able to heal. And, and whilst that might be true, it's that, it, you know, it feels so much more um, life affirming to talk about the next stage, which is what you're talking about, right? To yeah, be healed totally. and heal. Um, I mean, a lot of people with trauma experiences are very closed up. In your experience, how do you get them to come to you? I love that question. It's not something that people ask me a lot, um, but it is something that I've, I've heard the answer to from, from a lot of my clients, which is I tell my own story, right? A lot of, and this is the difference between doing work in a field that's more regulated, like therapy. Like I don't have a traditional therapy therapist degree, so I don't have the regulations of a therapist. Now I take ethics really seriously, but one of the, the liberties that I have because I'm certified as a coach and I'm certified with trauma resolution, but I didn't ever sign anything that says I won't talk about my personal life. I think because I've shared my story so vulnerably and so honestly, people feel safe. I've had tons and tons of clients who've come to me and said, I worked with my therapist for seven years and I never talked about sex or um, I've been looking for someone to work with, but I'm not really sure. I wasn't sure who I could trust. I wasn't sure if the, they had actually walked through it themselves. But because I've told my story, including like the really hard parts and how difficult it was for a long time and have been explicit about, here's exactly how I've worked through this. And it, you know, it's a messy process, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the, the process I've been through. Um, I think it makes people feel safe. I've been watching watching you and reading you telling your story and I and I think that there's something really powerful about the way you did that in your first book and I know that there's something else coming and I wanted yeah. to ask you a bit about that um, as well because I know there's um, you're you're um, looking for support for it now and yeah so tell us about the new book. Yeah. So the new book is called Sex After Trauma, and the tagline is Reclaiming Safe Love and Intimate Belonging. And this book is really for the people who are like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to want a healthy sex life. Or the people who are like, my sex life is so up and down, hot and cold, uh, super, super hypersexual, and then totally like, out of celibacy or the people who are just like why am I you know feeling unsafe with my partner who I love even though we've got this great relationship the people who are hungry for some kind of healing but also scared um, so this is a book that really contextualizes and gives stories and strategies for reclaiming the things that can get lost when we experience interpersonal violation reclaiming a feeling of worthiness like yes you're worth safe love and intimate belonging reclaiming a feeling of sovereignty like i have boundaries and borders that i understand and i let good things in and i keep bad things out naturally 
reclaiming a sense of whole self-expression. I get to find out who I really am and be that person in the world in a way that um, feels safe and in a way that feels fun. Reclaiming justice and liberation, like just because I've forgiven doesn't mean I'm letting things off the hook. I'm actually in a process of co-creating new norms by doing my own reclamation reclaiming empowered safety reclaiming clarity and choice so how do we do that how do we how do we reclaim the foundational things that get lost so that we can cross a threshold into pleasure into full self-expression into love into joy into a purpose that is really like powerful for you and for the world Mm. that's what the book's about (laughs) for a traumatized person especially those who've gone through sexual trauma what would you say will be a healthy conversation about sex to them what do you mean about a in terms of a healthy conversation i I could just imagine uh, for someone who's gone through sexual trauma hard to talk about sex or expressing themselves about sex in that matter so Mm. in terms of a healthy conversation without feeling um you know the sense of you know the trauma coming back again or Mm. this conversation's a bit uncomfortable or you know how do they yeah so in your opinion what would would you think would be a a healthy conversation for uh, for that person especially having gone through sexual trauma yeah Uh, i love that question actually Actually, one one of the things that i teach in the book is how to have um safer sex foreplay conversations and this is something that you can do if you're already partnered or if you're single and it's something that i recommend people practice with a friend first because the questions in and of themselves um can bring up a lot. They can reveal to you what you don't know about yourself or what feels too hard for you. But um, the basic question that guides this conversation is what are all the things that you need to feel emotionally and physically safe in sex? And for someone who has sexual trauma, that question, like the answer to that question right off the bat Mm -hmm. might be like, there is nothing that could make me feel safe. Okay. So if you hear that, then like, and that's what you're thinking. That totally makes sense. But this is a conversation that even if you haven't had sexual trauma is like, I totally recommend. Here are the prompts. The first one would be something along the lines of like, um, what are some things that you like sexually? And what are some things that you don't like? Mm -hmm. So some things you like might be like soft touch. It might be check-ins. It might be lots of kissing. It might be lots of compliments. Some things you might not like might be like, something rough or something non-consensual or you might just you might just not like you know somebody whispering in your ear just might be something you don't like so what are some things you like and don't like and are you able to communicate that ahead of time Mm -hmm. what do you need to in order to feel emotionally safe before during and after sex so before sex you need to know what your relationship is to this person do you need to know that they're going to call you after sex or that they're going to slip over What do you need to know before you engage in order to feel safe? What do you need to have happen during? Do you need them to check in with you every 10 minutes? Do you need to have an agreed upon safe word that everybody, that you practice beforehand? And what do you need after? Do you need cuddling? Do you need someone to bring you a glass of water? Do you need someone to tell you that you did, that you were awesome? So what are the things that you need before, during, and after sex in order to feel emotionally safe? 
So these kinds of conversations I go into in my book and um, they can definitely be challenging for anyone. But when we start to have these conversations before we ever have sex, it creates a healthy environment for sex to happen. And what's crossing my mind as you, as you share that, those questions is how I would imagine that most people have never asked those questions of anyone, you know, like right. how little we have those kind of conversations, which now you, now you talk to them, mm. I think, seem like actually quite respectful and useful questions, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, it's not just for people who have sexual trauma. These kinds of conversations are good for everyone because it creates clarity and choice. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's what we're so missing when you talk about the, the, the kind of cultural level of this and the, and the, and the macro level of the kind of, the kind of trauma-filled experience so many people do have around sex and sexuality. Then I think, like, we all need these conversations. Wherever, yeah. where, wherever we are. I want to ask you about the, um, the, the crowdfunder, just to tell us how it works, because um, I know that you're crowdfunding for the book. Um, yeah. Yeah, so people could know where to find you and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love doing, so I'm doing a Kickstarter for Sex After Trauma, and I love it because it really gives me a way to support you while you have the chance to also support me. So the way Kickstarter works is there are 17 different rewards that you can purchase essentially. And they're anything from the ebook to the audiobook to coming and participate, like coming to my house for a Shabbat dinner to doing like a group with me or having a session. And so you purchase that thing and whatever you purchase goes toward me being able to produce, edit, publish, print, and distribute sex after trauma. So it's this beautiful, mutually supportive experience. I love that. It's a community um, effort. And I can't do it without support. And I, I like that too, because it really keeps me focused on how can I be of service to other people? How can I really remember to, to make something that's of value? Sure. And if somebody is interested in finding out more and possibly supporting you through that, where do they go? Um, the Kickstarter link is bit.ly. So it's mm -hmm. bit.ly mm -hmm. slash sex after trauma book. You could also just Google sex after trauma Kickstarter and you would find it. Okay, cool. And, yeah. and the dates on it? Like it's open now? You know? It's open now. There's just 18 more days. It's open until the 23rd of December. Okay, 23rd of December. So people need to check it out right now. We'll yeah. also put the links on our, on the page when we publish this and share them in our Facebook group as well. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. welcome. So uh, what do you do to take care of yourself? Um, I dance. I take nice long baths. I like to, like, put you know, salts and coconut oil in the bath and I just like let my whole skin saturate in yummy, yumminess. And I uh, go down to the beach and take my walks. <laughs> mm, interesting. I play yeah. music, I hang out with friends. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm really into, like I work a lot and I work hard, but having community and having time to connect to nature and to my own spirituality is really, really important to me. So I make sure I have time for that as much as possible. 
Thank you. I think we're going to have to make a collection of all the things people say when we ask that. Yeah, absolutely, because it's quite interesting. <laughs> Lots of great ideas for people. I think we maybe should put our minds to that in 2018. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for being with us tonight, Rachel. We wish you all the best with your crowdfunding and with the book, and we're going to be watching it and sharing about it and looking forward to it. I think that for me, the work you're doing feels really critical and timely. And also, you know, as you shared some of the details of it, the questions and stuff, it sort of really occurred to me again on an, almost like another level, even from having read some of your work before and stuff, just like how important it is to be um, conscious about this and really um, thinking about it personally as well as collectively so i really mm. thank you for everything you're doing in the world and for being with us tonight mm, thank you so much for having me i really loved this short but, but powerful conversation and our theme tune over and over was written and performed by eleanor brown who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com <laughs>